Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 61. I am Steve Heinrich, your host, and this is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other tidbits I find interesting, Uh, mostly technology. I don't know why I keep mentioning design. Maybe someday we'll get back there, but either way, this episode is being recorded on Thursday, March 21st, and released on Thursday, March 21st, 2019. So visit pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links if you want to follow along with any links uh, that I refer to in the episode here. Or if you want to leave feedback on the show notes page, there's a nice comment section there. Or you can email me or contact me via social media. Any, any way you do it is good. So I appreciate anything that comes through. So thanks again for tuning in to episode 61. So here we go. Let's dive in. <laughs> With our weekly feedback, notes, and links. Lots of feedback and notes this week. I'm going to make my way through here. So let's start with our feedback. And just a note that I'm not sure how, <laughs> again, trying to squeeze in this episode this week. So hopefully we'll get in the, the, the around the 45 minute mark here. But Anyway, back to the feedback. I just want to say thank you to Guillermo Ortiz, who left a comment on the the show notes page. Uh, he happily uses Opera as well as his desktop browser on Windows. So uh, he's uh, he says it's very good as far as resources go. And he's also said that he, because uh, I mentioned last time that I, I, I actually put the question out there of if anybody has been hovering over the button of potentially breaking their phone or something to that effect uh, as far as running some sort of routing or some other process or flashing process on it. And he says he's bricked his Mi A1, uh, He but he lives in China and he says there's plenty of shady places <laughs> to get it fixed. So now I have a connection in case I ever uh, brick one of my devices. So uh, I don't I don't know if it would be be worth shipping it over for that but uh yeah thanks Guillermo for reaching out it's nice to know I'm not alone in the 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 unknowingly bricking you know potentially bricking your phone or you know something to that effect so anyway let's move on thank you to uh Kyle Helms who reached out on Twitter he says he has most uh, desktop browsers installed I think he's on Windows and he uses Opera every, Opera every once in a while and he says also he mentioned that edge is close to being to a beta uh with the new chromium engine so yeah edge edge on windows should be putting out their their beta pretty soon as as far as the uh the system that they're using i mean obviously every opera is chromium chrome is chromium and now edge will be chromium so chromium is clearly you know taking over everything but yeah i'll try out edge when uh op, when it comes out in its chromium variant so uh thanks to kyle oh he also said uh i forgot to mention this last time he also shared a resource for learning more about microsoft azure so yeah the microsoft's server software whatever their their cloud services uh mentioned in the past that i want to look more into that obviously i haven't had a ton of time but thanks to kyle for sharing those uh resources and i'll actually put a a link to what he shared because you can sign up and essentially get sort of like a free ebook where that will take you through the uh how to use azure and and you know tutorial 
wise and uh, it looks pretty good. And, and they actually sent a separate email outside of that PDF that has sort of a GitHub repository of all the, the you know, certain things and lessons in the book. So really appreciate That's a great resource. So thanks, Kyle, for that. And then also thank you to Mike Latori, who reached out via email. Uh, he actually said that he tried out opera because I had mentioned it last time. So he's uh, he's going to try that out. But he's he's always been a Firefox user is what he said. And he but he did say he uses opera on mobile quite a bit. So and he he did give a good tip and, and something that I'm going to have to try. <laughs> I think I said I was going to try it this week, but he actually said he switched out the ad blocker in his Firefox installation because um, he had Adblock Plus, which is like the one of the more popular ad blockers on for a browser uh, extension. And he switched it to uBlock Origin instead of Adblock Plus. And he said he saw massive. Uh, well, I don't know if he said massive, but he said he saw performance improvements. So, yeah, I'm going to try. I actually did switch the ad blocker to uBlock Origin in Firefox because I was been having, you know, performance issues. So I'm going to see if I get a chance to to switch back over to Firefox if that helps things out. So yeah, thanks to to Mike for that. And then I also uh, this is this other feedback. The the last couple things here were on MeWe, but it was actually in response to the post that I put on the Whatever Works community about the SD card as long-term storage in like a, a desktop or a laptop situation. So I just want to say thank you to Ian Barton, who actually reached out because originally he talked about backing up things from his SD card to something else automatically. And so I asked him uh, after he said that what he uses to automatically sync or back up his hard drives. And he uses a program called rsync. It's all one word, R-S-Y-N-C. And I did look into it a little bit. It looks like it might be a little bit beyond me. <laughs> I think there's a little bit uh, of command line stuff going on with that. And I'm not, I'm not well versed in any of that sort of thing. So, but I appreciate him reaching out about that. And I'm actually going to start looking more into automatic backup solutions for, you know, some of my hard drive stuff. I use OneDrive and I know, uh, I think Kyle Helms actually mentioned that he, you know, stores a lot of stuff on OneDrive too. Uh, if you've got that Office 365 subscription, it's just kind of a no brainer to back a lot of stuff up on that terabyte that you get. So, and especially if you have multiple family members and so you get up to six terabytes, <laughs> not saying like it's, you know, you can use, I don't know if you can use multiple accounts on one sort of login on Windows, but not that I'm trying to get my six terabytes necessarily, but either way, thanks to Ian Barton on MeWe for that on that post. And then also on that post that I put on whatever works is uh, Julie Wills reached out. She's avid and an active member over on a lot of the PSC communities. And so she actually, just to add reassurance, she says she used an SD card and an old laptop with a small solid state drive. And so her, that PC has since died, but the SD card survived. So that's a uh, good to hear from Julie as well on that. Even if it's just for a data point, it's really nice to know that I, I haven't had any negative feedback about it so far. So I'm going to continue looking into that SD card option. And she said there are some apps that refuse to talk to a separate drive. So she found a minor hacked 
to make Windows think it is a directory on the C drive for those. So, yeah, so I, I guess, uh, you know, you could potentially run into issues. That's the one the the first negative thing I think I've heard about using an SD card is potentially some apps may not recognize it. And so, yeah, that's uh, it's all sounds very, very positive. And I actually started looking a little bit at SD cards. And if I was going to do it, I would go either the 256 gigabyte or 512 gigabyte SD card to put in my, my laptop here. So that, yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not exactly, uh, you know, the cheapest option out there. So I, you know, I, <laughs> I kind of found myself on eBay, like looking at the, the 512 gigabyte Chinese cards out there, you know, the, the unbranded ones, because the price is so much lower. So, but, you know, I'm not going to do that if I'm going to depend on this for anything. So, you know, maybe I'll, I'll uh, hold off on the SD card thing until I'm more sure that that's what I want to do, because then I would probably just go with the 512 gigabyte card and, and call it a day and just leave that baby in there and, and just, you know, use it as another drive, which would be great. And I actually did look to this week, at uh second drive for the internal for the i think the nvme drive the second slot in the my x1 extreme here that's open for another hard drive and i think i mentioned it last time that i think you could only put a one terabyte drive in that second bay and so i don't know if bay is the right word to, (laughs) to use for that i know that's what you would say on a desktop but i guess the slot on the laptop here but I did look at that. I found a an Intel SSD drive that I could potentially use in there that was actually pretty decently priced uh, compared to what I found as far as one terabyte options go. So I'll put a link to that Newegg listing in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about and kind of yeah, compare that to some other one terabyte drives out there. And and honestly, because it's a secondary drive, because I don't think it's that fast, this Intel one as fast as like the main drive on here or other other drives that I could potentially put in there. Uh, so that's honestly not that big of a deal for me. I think that it's mostly going to be used for secondary storage and it's probably going to be and it is going to be faster than a spinning hard drive which is what i'm using now externally so we'll see if that i mean i've got you know i've got options uh, unfortunately like i was talking about with my work stuff i just you know i've got a, just over one terabyte so that you know i don't have a ton of of room or options but yeah we'll just i'm going to keep going down keep researching this stuff but it's nice to know the sd cards is actually actually a a stable option. So I'm happy about that. We'll see. We'll see in the future. I don't like I said, I'm not pulling the trigger on anything now. So but uh, thanks to everybody for your feedback this week. Uh, again, always appreciated. And you can visit pixelswim.com for that or reach out any way. I don't even care. So <laughs> thanks again, everybody. All right, so let's go into the next segment, which I've been doing every week, is the LG G6 Weekly Report. So yeah, time to report on what I've done with my LG G6 this week. Again, this is just to keep me accountable in using the phone. So either way, I have actually started trying the Outlook app again on Android. And uh, in case you didn't know, I'm on 
the uh, my outlook.com is what I use for my main email contacts and calendar, basically using the premium version of it through my Office 365 subscription. So I actually didn't have that set up on my G6 under in the Outlook app or even in the Gmail app. So I had it set up through LG's sort of they have an exchange option in the the account section and you can use the LG's stock email and contacts and calendar app with that account. So that's how I had it set up. Uh, But I did notice there was just some some inconsistencies with the calendar events. Uh, The calendar is probably the thing that I'm struggling a little bit most with as far as Outlook goes, as far as Outlook.com goes my Microsoft account here, uh, it doesn't necessarily low. It's not as good as Google (laughs) as I was used to with Google. And so it's kind of trying to come to grips with a little bit of that because it has a lot of trouble with birth, you know, birthdays uh, as far as contacts go, pulling in those birthdays correctly. I noticed a lot of times it pull it would pull in a birthday as a two-day event (laughs) and so it left me a little bit confused as to which day the birthday was actually on so i noticed in the outlook app though after i put it back on android is that it loads everything incorrectly so when i had it loading in through the lg's system it was not loading everything all the calendar events necessarily correctly or even all of them and and then that includes birthdays so and then some holidays in the outlook.com calendar or do not show up like daylight savings did not show up this year that's something that usually is in the holiday calendar but outlook does not include that in the holidays but um, obviously it would be nice to know (laughs) it is the u.s holidays calendar there's no daylight savings i guess that's technically not a holiday but I know in Google's calendar, holiday calendar, they include that. So kind of, you know, just a little thing, all these little things that that kind of just add up to being annoying. But I am making it work. Like I said, I'm back on the Outlook app on my G6. And uh, this means that I can't use my calendar widget that I that I use the next four agenda pro widget. And so that's I'm just going to have to, you know, in order to have all of my events in my in my phone, that's just kind of how I have to go about it. Obviously, those events can't be accessed by the system. They're just in the Outlook app. So either way, I'm just trying that out for a little bit now. Uh, and again, on the birthdays, on the, the note with the with the birthdays is because I don't have necessarily the the year when I was setting up all the contacts again for my Outlook.com account. I didn't ha- I don't have the year that somebody was born for every, you know, every birthday contact that I have. So I would just put in the month and day and leave the year out. But when it was coming across on the system in and in Android on my on my G6 in the system settings for the exchange account, it was filling in the year <laughs> with 1604. And yeah, so I don't I'm pretty sure the people we're not born in 1604. I just I don't know why it defaults to 1604. Does, would anybody know why the year 1604 would be the default uh, for contacts without a year on their birthday details? Uh, kind of strange, <laughs> kind of a strange detail. But uh, either way, that that's just kind of where I've been with the G6 this week. I did actually try out the 
Microsoft Launcher app again, too, for a little bit. But then I just kind of ditched it again. I was I, I did give it a little bit of a go for a couple hours, but I just I'm not quite ready to to make the switch over. That just doesn't for me personally, it's just not the best solution for me. But either way, that has been the LJG six weekly report. All right, so just a few updates on things that I've been talking about recently. Uh, I already mentioned the Opera browser recently. I'm still using it this week, even though uh, I'm going to try out that tip from Mike and and switch to uBlock Origin. But I, it's just the the browser has been very fast and very good uh, to use on Windows, and even better than Chrome itself, in my opinion, because it uh, doesn't seem to use nearly as many resources. When I fire up Opera, and when I fire it up, it actually I have four or five pin tabs that load up when I fire up Opera. So I've got a couple email accounts, a calendar and a task manager thing for work and uh, my Outlook account, obviously. And so, yeah, that's a lot to, to load on initial launching of the app. And it doesn't really phase my computer, I, I think, at all. Uh, but I did notice when I open Chrome, because I open Chrome every once in a while, I actually opened it I have it open right now to use Zencaster but when I open that which I have nothing set as the home page I think I have a, a custom home page set up with just some basic links uh, using an, some extension but either way it loads up very very little but you can easily tell that the computer is struggling <laughs> a little bit just to get Chrome open and up and running and I, I have it turned off where Chrome does not run in the background after I close it. But either way, it just, yeah, the, the fan starts firing up very loudly. So there's a, a burst in resource uh, resources needed just to get Chrome up and running, which I have not seen with Opera. So it's just been, yeah, like I said, as far as Chromium browsers go, I'll pro- Opera will probably be just kind of my go-to. But um, I do really have really been enjoying the uh, pop-out video feature. In, in Opera. So say if you are on YouTube and you load a video, you can click a button that Opera sort of superimposes or over the the video in YouTube. And it's a little pop out button and it will pop out the video in a smaller form that will hover on top of everything you do in Opera. So if you want to switch tabs or, if, you know, you got other things to do and scroll through on Opera, it will uh, stay on top so you can see the video still, which is a nice feature and kind of, you know, kind of reminds me of on Android now. I think in Oreo, they introduced the 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 floating video window. It's very much like that, but I think just within Opera. So but yeah, I just want to give a little bit of an update on my usage of Opera this week. Uh, it's been good. And we'll see if I can get back on Firefox. I can't guarantee that I'll make the switch back. I'm kind of in it now for now. So. And I'm still going strong with KeyPass this week. It's just an update on my password management. I have, haven't have run into any sort of uh, speed bumps along the way. So it's been been working well with the KeyPass now. Uh, again, like I said last time, I'm going to keep an open mind. But for now, it's nice to just have a good solid place to, to keep everything. But yeah. All right, and just a quick update on my Lumia 640 that I got in and talked a lot about last episode is that I decided to use the Windows device recovery tool and bring it back to uh, Windows Phone 8.1 just to try that out. 
for a bit. Uh, it was just kind of one of those decisions where I, I don't know, I was kind of just hanging around on the weekend and decided to just run that option through the the Windows device recovery tool. So now it's back on 8.1. And yeah, it's, you know, 8.1 is a lot more limited <laughs> as far as what you can do and web services and stuff like that, which isn't bad because I'm not really using the phone as a daily driver. So it's not as big a deal. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And honestly, I haven't really since I got the 640 in, I haven't really used the Nokia N9 very much. Uh, I know I kind of went off the rails a lot with it uh, when I first got that N9 in and was trying to get apps on it and stuff like that. But then the 640 kind of has distracted me from that. The 640, honestly, I think I like it more so than the N9. The N9 is just kind of a rare gem. The 640 has kind of a beloved, <laughs> beloved phone. So uh, yeah, that's kind of that's where I'm at, I guess, right now with those devices. It's nice to have them in and to play with them. I'll have to fire up that N9 at some point and see if the if I can have a go at, at getting more apps and, and stuff on there and just uh, seeing if it's any good as a kind of a detox device. I know I keep talking about detoxing uh, from devices, but uh, it's nice to have a bunch of options for that because Windows Phone is that's kind of where they're landing right now. So, all right. So another note this week is actually was kind of a little bit of a scary thing for me uh, as far as work goes is we had a a WordPress hacker issue. Uh, this is the first time that I have had to try and thwart off some sort of hacking attempt on WordPress. And so, yeah, what had happened essentially is somebody got into our admin and was able to change. There's a setting in in WordPress, one of the main general settings that where you set the URL of your website and they managed to get into the admin and and change that to a spam website, which, uh, yeah, not cool to, to find that out. So that happened at night. Uh, luckily, I was alerted of that and was able to uh, work on that. And yeah, so like I said, it's not the the biggest hacking thing that could happen. And luckily, our site is basically just an informational site, the one that they that was targeted. And so it was, you know, that we didn't lose any customer sensitive information, really, everything is pretty much up front, there's nothing stored on that WordPress installation, uh, which is lucky, of course. But I was like I said, it was my first time kind of thwarting off and, you know, a hack attack <laughs> like this. So was able to identify a lot of things. And it was just I, I you know, I don't want to put it this way necessarily. Uh, but it's, you know, it was kind of a testament to uh, how much I've learned over the years, uh, especially with WordPress. But yeah, it was it was kind of, you know, it, was, it sucked, but it was kind of cool to work through that and see how much I could actually do. You know, it kind of opens my eyes to the, the level of knowledge. You know, it's sometimes you just you work on something or work with something for years and you don't realize how much you know about it until something like this happens and you're able to go in and fix it. So, yeah, that was, you know, there was some a lot of aspects that I that I had to cover for this you know obviously this is a security thing and so it's a matter of you know cleaning the database and changing every password you can think of and making sure that you have you know i had backups running automatically so luckily we didn't need to go to those but either way it was just uh yeah 
my, my first experience of that sort of thing. And I think all things considered, I ha- I handled it uh, pretty well. So it was um, very, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for, for all of that knowledge over the years. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful we got it fixed too. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to mention that because it's kind of a, you know, it's one of those things I hear a lot about, you know, WordPress and security. And over the years, nothing like this has ever happened with a WordPress installation that I've had. So it was kind of a surprise. At, at, at the same time, it was not a shock because it was, it's some, you know, WordPress sites get attacked because they are, you know, they all run on a certain, certain pattern of URLs and, and, and different things like that and logins and, and, and things like that. So it was, uh, so it was unfortunate that it happened to us. Luckily, I don't think it happened for very long, maybe a couple hours at most that our site was redirecting to somewhere else. And so we got it back up and running, which is uh, good news. All right, so let's move on to the next note here that I have. And I just wanted to mention this, and if anybody can help with this. Uh, so on my wife's Sony Xperia XC1 com- Compact, uh, there is a an LED notification light on it, which is great. You know, you don't see many devices with those anymore, and it's always nice to have that option. But it does uh, stay on <laughs> when the phone is charging. And so we keep both keep our phones by our bedsides and use them as alarm clocks. And so when it's plugged in at night for the night, the LED comes on to indicate the charging. It doesn't flash. It's like a solid on. And so when it's charging, it is orange. And when it is fully charged, it is green. But, you know, during the night, it's actually kind of a bright little light, you know, and so my wife was like, "Ah, you know, this light is actually kind of keeping me up a little bit. And, you know, not necessarily like horribly, but it's kind of a distraction. And so I started looking into if it was possible to turn off the LED light when it is charging. And this is not (laughs) an easy task. And I still have not been able to figure out if there is an actual way to do this uh, outside of rooting the device. So I tried the Lightflow app, and this is an app I've actually used in the past that lets you control the LED in your device. Uh, but with the the fact that the XC1 Compact is on Android Pie now, I don't know that it that it has the level of permissions that it can actually go in and, and change the light for that because. The settings do show up in Lightflow for the battery charging uh, options, but it doesn't do anything when you change those those options. So it did not work. And I actually tried another app that's called Disable Charging LED. Very uh, straightforward and small, simple app. And essentially this, I don't think, has the the right permissions either, or it just doesn't work with Sony's way of dealing with the the LED light. So that one did not work either. And so I actually saw a little bit of talk on a forum when I was researching it to try out Sony's like assistant settings where you can set the phone to do different things at different times of day. And one of them is, you know, a night mode kind of thing. And there's an option to turn off the LED so it does not flash, but there is no option to turn off the charging LED, so it's not on when it's charging. So fortunately, even in Sony's own settings, there's no way to turn it off. And 
I did see something to this effect uh, on one of the forums that I was on about how somebody's had a bunch of uh, Xperia devices over the years and none of them have been able to turn off the LED light during charging. So not too hopeful about this, but if anybody knows of a way to do that on the XZ1, XZ, XZ1 Compact, uh, let me know or, or any other options or things that I can try uh, short of rooting the device, which I don't know if I want to do or will be able to do because it is on Android Pie now. So we'll see. Uh, I did get another update. It did get another security update, which is kind of good. Yeah, it's probably the most... Uh, updates I've seen on a device that we've had that I've ever had. Uh, and, you know, obviously, it's my wife's home, but you know, I set it up and everything. So uh, that's uh, just kind of where I'm at with that X one compact. And hopefully we can figure something out because I uh, hate to have to <laughs> put a piece of electrical tape over it or something, which would not be, you know, ideal. But either way, All right, so the next thing I have in my notes here was actually spurred by something I saw on the PSC community. And it was, I think, Frank Needhart actually posted about the eFoundation. And if you remember, I actually talked about this a little bit on one of my past podcasts about the eFoundation. And basically, this is a sort of an initiative to make a third quote-unquote operating system that focuses heavily on privacy and will let you use an Android device without needing a Google account. Uh, So Frank actually posted on, like I said, on the PSC community about it. And so I decided to actually try it out again on my Moto G uh, third generation because I I tried it back in September of last year and I haven't tried it since. But uh, it's still based on Lineage OS, this this ROM. Basically, you install it just like a Lineage OS ROM uh, without the extra G apps package. And it is still running on Android 7.1.2. So not the most up-to-date Android. But uh, yeah, I thought I'd give it a try again just to see the progress that they've that they've made with this with their their initiative and their ROM or their custom Android system. So I know at one point they were looking to have their own sort of app store. And uh, I think something that would be kind of similar to FDroid, which is uh, an alternative Android app store with, I think, just open source apps. So I installed the latest version of the latest nightly version for my Moto G third gen. And basically, there's a bunch of uh, pre-selected apps or pre-installed apps that they've so- selected as the you know kind of the the main apps for the device, and they're all set up just on a home screen. And I'm going to go through a little bit of them just to kind of give you a better idea of what they're they're doing as far as their ROM goes and why that some of these apps are selected. So the main apps on the home screen, it starts with the calculator. And this is just the system default that comes with Lineage OS. Uh, there is a calendar app. And I looked into that one a little bit. And it is actually an open source app called ETAR. And that's uh, I think you can find that on the on the Google Play Store, but you can also find it through FDroid. So that's what they're using for the calendar app. And then the clock is the the system default clock that they use in lineage. Uh, So that's, you know, just kind of what that is. It looks a lot like Google's clock 
And I think there's a couple extra options in there because this, I mean, this is a, a custom lineage OS install. So, the, you know, they've, they've added a few things in there. But there's also a files uh, app, which is just the sort of Android default file explorer. And then there's an FM radio app. And I think this is one that Lineage uh, uses, kind of the system default for Lineage. And then there is a gallery app, which is, I think, another Lineage system default. And then there is a light app, which is like a flashlight app. And this one is actually another one that is an open source app called Simple Flashlight. And it's actually made by a, a developer who creates a bunch of different open source apps all with the same kind of simple quote unquote simple uh, theme they make a like I said they make a bunch of apps like an email app a calendar app and stuff like that but they're all open source and I think you can find those all on the fdroid store as well and actually in the the google play store uh, the most interesting one that I found is actually the the replacement for the maps app that they use uh, it's actually an app called magic earth and this one you can find on the google play store and it's a, uh, it's a, like I said, it's another uh, ma- maps alternative app. It's not the worst maps uh, app that I've seen. I didn't, you know, I haven't tried it out fully, but it does support offline maps, uh, which is really nice. And yeah, overall, it seems like pretty decent. Think of it kind of more towards the direction of here maps, uh, but not as good. I did search for something for a store that I know is in our town here, and it did not show up. So it did show all the other locations except for the the one that's nearest to me, which was a little strange. So it's not perfect, but if you need basic, basic maps, uh, you know, roadmaps and stuff like that, I think this is is good enough. And it looks like there's navigation options in there. Again, that's called Magic Earth. Uh, I haven't heard of it, but that's what they've chosen for this eFoundation installation. All right. And then there is the music app, which I think is the it's a lineage OS default system music app that lineage includes with their with bundled in with their roms there is a notes app and this is the first occurrence that i see of signing into an e account Uh, because i believe what e does is that they they have their own sort of server set up with nextcloud on it and you you know in order to kind of supplement the google services that you're losing with this version of android uh, you can use uh, set up an e-account with different things like uh, photo syncing and calendar and email and stuff like that, that will kind of, like I said, supplement the Google services. Uh, then there's a recorder app on here. This is uh, the default lineage one as well. And there they have Signal installed, which is a messaging app. Then there is a tasks app, which I'm not sure where this one comes from necessarily. Uh, but then they also have Telegram pre-installed on here, which makes a lot of sense on this uh, privacy-based operating system. And then there is a weather app on here, which I found not to be the <laughs> the best app, but it's actually, it's just called Weather on the Device, but it's actually an app called Good Weather that you can find on the F-Droid store as well, another open source app for weather. It looks like the browser app on here is actually the default lineage browser app. Uh, as well as the phone app. And I believe that the camera is actually an app called Open Camera. So it's not the default uh, lineage camera app. Uh, it is 
like I said, it's an open camera in the about section here. It says open camera version 1.45.2. So yeah, so they basically got this sort of smorgasbord of open source apps that they use uh, in place of a lot of the default apps that come on, you know, like a regular Google, Google-fied Android device. But and I think a lot of these were kind of the same back when I tried it again, but I dug in just a little bit deeper to see what the apps are that they're using. Uh, so it just kind of gives a little bit more insight into where they're going with this. I, I, I hope that they kind of do some sort of fork of the F-Droid store because there is no store technically on this eFoundation installation. I know you can go and get F-Droid, you know, download that through the browser. Uh, but I think something pre-installed on the device would be uh, much uh, appreciated <laughs> to kind of get more apps than what they give you out of the box here. And there's there's no app drawer on their, their sort of home screen setup. Um, this is kind of the same as it was last time too. It's kind of an iPhone looking setup uh, as far as the the launcher that they use. There, like I said, there's no app drawer and there's kind of a an iPhone like uh, notification section off to the left and just a grid of apps basically for everything else that's installed on there. But yeah, so I thought it was just kind of interesting to go back and and see the progress on that. It hasn't come far. I think there's a long way to go before people can actually switch to eFoundation because I think part of what they're pushing for too is that they want to have their own devices out there. You know, they want to have manufacturers pre-installing eFoundation onto these devices and, and, you know, selling them out of the box with this on there. But I, I, from what I'm seeing, and if this, um, the, the version that's on the Moto G third gen is any indication, they have a long way to go before that's uh, completely viable. So especially because there's no app store yet. So that's kind of one of the biggest things, but uh, I'm going to keep my eye on it because I do like what they're doing. Obviously, I went through a big thing not too long ago of trying to get away from Google and trying to find Android without Google. And so they're probably, you know, this project that they're doing is uh, right up my alley and right. You know, I'm going to keep my eye on that. But uh, it's nice to to see Frank post about that again because it kind of put it back on my radar and. Uh, I've got this Moto G third gen that will, you know, I'll be able to to keep checking on it. So, all right. So the last bit of notes here, the last note that I have is I just wanted to talk a little bit, just a little bit about the Google Stadia, the uh, the announcement by Google, their their gaming platform or whatever you want to call it. I actually found it quite interesting because of the way that it works and the way that the 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 streaming and the gaming and the and all of that stuff is done on a remote server, which I thought was a really uh, interesting because mostly because I, of the implications this kind of has on the rest of software in the world. <laughs> so then and kind of the future of software and where it's going and, and how it's starting off with games now, but I can see it moving into you know, everything will be just accessed on a server. You know, if I, I, I have the the Adobe Creative Cloud suite, uh, that's one of those things that gets downloaded and installed to a local machine. And I can, you know, easily see in the future, you know, not needing a powerful machine anymore to, to work with heavy applications like that. And, and this, uh, the Google Stadia, this gaming service is kind of, 
I think it's a peek into that that idea. And so I think they'll, they'll be able to work out a lot of kinks, you know, with the with their service. So it should be interesting to, to see where it goes. Uh, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm not <laughs> I mean, obviously not the biggest Google fan in the world, but this is clearly kind of a step towards the future of computing for everything. So I uh, was, you know, interested to see and, and kind of watch the review of the event. And it was, uh, yeah, very, very compelling as far as what it what it kind of means for the future of computing. But yeah, I thought I'd just mention that just because it piqued my interest this week. So. All right, so let's wrap things up. I managed to make my time here, it looks like. So, yeah, I appreciate everybody tuning in again to the Pixel Swim podcast, episode 61. Nothing significant about that. And I'm, I probably should stop saying that about every number. <laughs> Either way, uh, thank you for tuning in. If you want to visit pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and links, if you want to leave any feedback, you can find a way to do that through pixelswim.com. So, yeah, it's always appreciated. Thank you for tuning in. And yeah, tune in next week for episode 62. Not sure what the topic is yet. (laughs) I'm never really sure after the the episode. So but uh, obviously, it'll be more about my week in tech. So uh, hopefully we'll have some some more good talk next week. But either way, thanks for tuning in and have a great afternoon or evening or night or day or breakfast or lunch or dinner or fourth meal, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. So thanks again and Godspeed. <laughs>